Hello, everyone, and welcome to our new Norton Rose Fulbright Financial Services podcast series called Split the Difference. My name is Simon Lovegrove, Global Director of Financial Services Knowledge, and in this new series, a team of our financial services lawyers from the EU and the UK are going to take a look each month at the latest developments in different areas of EU and UK market regulation and how they are each developing. We thought we would start today with an overview of what we should be expecting and hoping to see in 2023. And I'm pleased to be joined by Anna Carrier from our Brussels office, Florja Nagelkirk from our Amsterdam office, and also Jonathan Herbst and Hannah Meekin from our London office. So without further delay, I'll hand over to Hannah Meekin. Thanks, Simon, and hi, everyone. On the UK side, I think we need to start with some scene setting as we've got a number of different initiatives going on and it's getting quite confusing as to what they all are and how they all fit together. Essentially, I think they're all part of the wider effort to make the UK financial system fit for the future now that we're no longer part of the EU. So we started off with the Wholesale Markets Review, which is where the government identified early on some improvements that could be made to requirements resulting from European legislation. Um, mostly uh, MIFID II related, and many of them are actually in parallel with either previous or subsequent changes that are happening at EU level anyway. This was followed swiftly by the future of the regulatory framework review, which is the UK's broader plan for how the post-European legislation should be organised into UK legislation and how the UK government and regulators are going to work together to implement that going forward. And then where each of these uh, initiatives or initiatives within those, those those two wide groups of initiatives require legislative change. That's being implemented through the Financial Services and Markets Bill, which is currently uh, at the House of Lords. And once passed, that legislation will give the regulators various new powers they need to implement some of the detailed rules that are being talked about um, as part of these, these groups of initiatives. And then most recently, and um, I guess possibly finally for present purposes, the Chancellor last year uh, announced a series of reforms to the financial services regime in Edinburgh, so otherwise known as the Edinburgh reforms. And these include many of the topics that form part of what I've just described, but also some new, uh, some new ideas and uh, proposals, both in terms of what's going on in the wholesale markets, but also other areas of financial services as well. So keeping on top of all of this in 2023 is going to be a big job for everyone. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we thought this uh, podcast series might be quite helpful. So that's the um, kind of overview from the UK side. Um, but Anna, do you want to talk about the EU? Yes, thank you, Hannah. So in the EU, there is a busy year ahead for markets regulation uh, with a number of ongoing initiatives at various stages of legislative review, as well as some major planned proposals that the European Commission is yet to unveil. In respect of the former, so the ongoing initiatives, Completion of the review of markets and financial instruments regulation, NAFIR, is certainly high on the agenda. This covers changes to the regulation of market data and notably introduction of the new consolidated TAPE regime, as well as changes to pre- and post-trade transparency regime, so issues really critically important for European financial market participants. We are also at the very early stages of legislative review of EMIR, with a proposal for a so-called EMIR 3.0 being published by European Commission in early December last year. So we expect a lot of focus in this um, in the months to come. 
There are also some new initiatives in the European Commission's work plan for 2023 that we expect to see over the coming months, ranging from prospective changes to MIFID inducement regime, highly controversial, introduction of a proposal for open finance, as well as review of benchmarks regulation. And finally, on some of the recently adopted files from the digital finance package, including markets in crypto assets regulation, Mika, and um, digital operational resilience regulation, DORA, we're expecting a lot of focus on development of the secondary legislation, setting out more technical operational rules for some of the key provisions. So as I said, very busy year ahead, and we'll address some of those issues in a bit more detail in the later part of this podcast. But for now, I will pass it on to Floche and Jonathan, who will discuss the equities. So maybe to start from the EU side. So uh, we wanted to touch upon the topic of equities. And uh, I think just relating back to what um, uh, Anna just said, that we uh, see sort of the outcome of the, the and, uh, and the finalization of the review of MIFIR and MIFID. Um, and I think on the equity side there, good to mention is that um, there is a change in relation to the double volume cap. So there, um, they will change it into a single volume cap, which will rely only on a EU-wide threshold of 7%, uh, and the venue thresholds will be removed. That's that's the, uh, the latest. Um, uh, so that would be good. Um, I think a lot of people will... Um, be happy with that introduction or amendment, um, but uh, let's see uh, how it in the end indeed will be implemented. Um, and I think with that, I will hand over to Jonathan. Thanks, Lorsha. Um So uh, similar themes in the UK. I mean, I think if you look at the wholesale markets review, the general thrust is to liberalize the regime. And a couple of really key examples of that. Firstly, the removal of the double volume cap and not replacing it with anything and also um, removing the uh, securities trading obligation. Just, just to say that reflects very much the UK's historic policy position, which is that essentially people should be free to trade where they want to trade. The systemic issues really related to clearing, not trading. The UK was never very enthusiastic about forcing people onto markets, onto platforms. So I think those two reforms are you know, very much reflective of historic UK policy and obviously in a post-Brexit environment, UK is carrying that forward. Two other quick things to mention, I think they bring out interesting themes. Uh, removal of the requirement for market-making agreements uh, for those uh, you know, doing market-making uh, in an algo context, very much reflective also of the fact they just want to leave that to exchanges and other platforms to determine what they want. And similarly, and finally, just on this section, uh, delegating tick sizes that really that will go to the exchanges and I think there's a general theme in, in not just in equities but in many areas here of delegation of power to the regulators as opposed to the treasury and also to the exchanges and other platforms so a couple of big themes coming up there which perhaps we'll, we'll pick up as we go through perhaps over to you Hannah and Anna on bonds and derivatives. Yes thank you Jonathan um, I mean starting off on the UK side uh, in relation to bonds and derivatives um, you know, one of the key focuses of the wholesale markets review is the transparency regime and the need to make it work better for both fixed income and derivatives markets. And um, similar to what, actually what Jonathan was saying in relation to equities, the intention here is that the FCA should be responsible for recalibrating the scope and setting the firm facing transparency obligations. Um, and very much in line with the, the government's broader objective to return some of the responsibility for designing and implementing you know, these detailed regulatory requirements to the expert regulators. 
um, as set out in that future of the regulatory framework review. So the FCA has been working on um, the uh, requirements in relation to uh, transparency in bonds. And I think we can expect uh, to hear more about this once the Financial Services and Markets Bill has been passed, um, because that is a, an important part in the process for, the, for that uh, set of changes. Um, and then on the derivative side, um, many of the changes to MIFID II that, that have we already alluded to are actually also relevant to derivatives. But um, in addition, the Financial Services and Markets Bill will realign the derivatives trading obligation with the clearing obligation so that the former um, follows the latter once again, um, and also give the regulators various additional powers, including a, a permanent power to modify or suspend the derivatives trading obligation, in particular to prevent or mitigate disruption to the markets. There are various other changes that do relate to derivatives, but um, in the interest of time, perhaps we should talk about the EU, Anna. Thank you, Hannah. So as I mentioned earlier in the introductory section, the focus this year will be on completing the proposed targeted reform of the pre and post trade transparency for non-equity instruments, this being part of the LIFIA review. Last, late last year, the Council with member states adopted its negotiating position, where they suggested separating out provisions um, on pre and post trade transparency for trading venues, one set will cover bond structured finance products and emission allowances, and derivatives will be subject to separate uh, uh, requirements. So, arguably, the underlying objective here is to simplify this currently very complex regime and also to retain some flexibility in the pre trade transparency setup to trading venues, with the intention being that these requirements should be calibrated for different types of trading systems. Member states also agreed on changes to the waivers regime for bonds and derivatives. In terms of the post-trade transparency regime, one of the things to note is the proposed introduction of a suspension mechanism for competent authorities when liquidity of a given instrument falls below certain thresholds. And member states also agreed on an overhaul of the deferred publication regime for bonds and derivatives, again, separating out the provisions applicable to those instruments. And that said, and it is important to highlight um, here, the co-legislator, the other co-legislator, the European Parliament is yet to adopt its position after which the trilogue negotiations will follow. So there are likely to be further discussions on each of those points. It is important to see and um, monitor them closely and see how they um, develop into the final legislation. Another issue to mention uh, very briefly here, also in the context of the few review and relevant to derivatives is the proposed introduction of a suspension um, of a trading suspension mechanism for uh, for trading obligation for derivatives, something that currently does not exist in European legislation. And um, just finally and very briefly, in terms of the OTC derivatives regulation, early um, in the year we are expecting formal adoption of two pieces of your secondary legislation. This includes Commission delegated regulations extending the deferred date of application of the clearing obligation for intra-group transactions and the date of application of the margin requirement for intra-group transactions to 30th of June 2025. So this is something that the OTC and derivative market participants had been calling for for quite a while, so a welcomed move. On a legislative level, and as I mentioned earlier, the key focus will be on the legislative review of the proposed changes to EMIR that the Commission tabled on the 7th of December last year, but we'll cover that in the later part of this podcast. So with that, I'll hand over to Jonathan for commodities. Thanks, Anna. Um, so look, commodity derivatives is a huge subject. I just wanted to pick out three points. And I think this 
you know, it, it's very much part of the general theme of a broad liberalisation in the UK, although I think in this area one needs to be careful about that. So perhaps three points to mention. First is delegation of position limit setting down to new platforms follows the theme I mentioned earlier and Hannah mentioned of, you know, trying to get the detail, you know, the details down to the level of the regulators and the platforms. So that's sensible. Second area, which I think very much reflects existing UK policy, is the whole definition of an equivalent OTC contract. And, and for those who are aficionados on this, everyone will remember that it was very difficult to work out at the time of MIFID II what was, was not in scope. Relevance, of course, to pre and post trade transparency and numerous other obligations, transaction reporting and various other things. Um, good news here is the UK has sort of stuck with its existing view, which is effectively that it's just those instruments traded on platforms. So you don't need to, generally speaking, get involved in complicated lookalike debates, et cetera, et cetera. Third area, and this will be of great interest to some and, and not much to others, so I'll just go over it quite quickly, is the whole question of the exemptions under the ancillary exemption. You know, if you do or do not need to be regulated, if you're not a financial entity doing commodity trading. And I think that there are two nutshell points to make on this. I think the first is, the longer term objective of the government set out in the wholesale markets review is to move away totally away from the current quantitative tests to effectively back to the MIFID one qualitative test uh, of main business. You know, we can debate whether that's good or bad or actually gives more power to the regulators, but just that's the concept uh, because they feel that the quantitative tests are, are not uh, calibrated enough. In the shorter term, what they've done is to amend the tests without going into all the detail. Essentially, in most cases, this now means you're looking at just the, yeah, the, the volume of your own business that is in derivative commodity derivatives trading as opposed to physicals and other related activities. Although to be very technical about it, there is still some relevance to the overall market uh, test if, you, if you're between the 10 and the 50% in terms of your main business. And I won't go into all that. Anyone who's interested would be, we'd be very happy to talk them through it. But I think the important point here is it's part of an evolution away from what has been a very complicated test of the European legislation to something more calibrated, if you put it like that, more qualitative. And that's part of a general theme that they're following through. Although, be careful what you wish for, sometimes we have historically found qualitative tests to be just as complicated as quantitative tests. So I think over to you, Anna, to talk about the EU side. Thank you, Jonathan. So again, um, in Europe, lots is happening. So not so much in the area of broader commodity de derivatives regulation that um, Jonathan has just spoken about in the context of the UK changes. This debate um, in Europe took place with the so-called method quick fix um, uh, review and adoption and the new rules regarding position limits and um, changes to ancillary activity exemption entered into force last year. But currently, um, loads of uh, changes and um, new regulatory requirements is happening in the energy markets. So this is, of course, linked with the ongoing energy crisis. Um, late last year, a number of measures had been adopted to try and prevent the spillover of this crisis situation to financial markets. Some of the most notable measures and relevant to a number of market participants include introduction of a so-called market correction mechanism for gas markets, so more commonly referred to as a, a gas price cap, hugely controversial. Um, the correction mechanism um, uh, the, and these new rules um, uh, set out 
the set out activation, disactivation, and suspension mechanism for um, for the for the correction mechanism. The legislation is to become applicable um, on the first of February, and the market correction mechanisms could be activated as of the fifteenth February this year. But in terms of other um, recently adopted regulations that are relevant to European commodity market participants, and in particular those active in LNG markets, are new regulations requiring the agency for the cooperation of energy regulators, so ICER, to develop a new complementary price benchmark that will provide for arguably stable and predictable pricing for LNG transactions. So this new benchmark must be made available by the 31st of March this year, and a daily LNG price assessment has to start um, being published by ACER as of 13th of January, together with the new reporting obligation for LNG market participants becoming applicable also on the 13th of January. So this new reporting obligation is separate to any existing reporting obligation that applies to wholesale energy market participants under remit. So this is really important uh, to note and to flag and to be aware of. It's if if, um, if you're a participant in the LNG market. And in addition, same regulation that mandated ACER to develop an LNG benchmark and introduce reporting obligation for LNG market participants also requires trading venues on which energy-related related commodity derivatives are traded to introduce by the end of January an intraday volatility management mechanism. So again, quite a lot of changes, fast pace, and um, um, something for, for market participants to be aware of and to be um, and to monitor closely. I'll hand over now to Floce and Hannah for the trading venues. Hannah, um, and on the EU side, I wanted to discuss the, um, uh, the expectation that we will get uh, by the end of January, beginning of February, the outcome uh, of the consultation of ESMA on the parameter of the trading venues, which came actually down to the question, what is considered to be multilateral trading? Um, and that consultation is a follow-up of the uh, final report that ESMA published on uh, the concept of the, um, uh, the OTF. Uh, and they, they then were committed to publishing opinion because of the fact that there were some apparently in the in the market, uh, uh, well, on clarity on, on sort of the scope uh, of what is the, um, well considered to be multilateral. Um, and also, so there will not be really changes made to the legislation. The opinion of ESMA that is uh, being published is more a, uh, a guidance. It's, it's clarification on some of the concepts. Um, the reason for that is because of ESMA uh, uh, considering that the legislation is not unclear. Uh, it's, it's more the application. Um, not only by market participants, but also by the regulators, that it's not always uh, well considered in the same uh, same view. So therefore, they they will publish this opinion. Um, the interesting thing is that they they really discuss uh, actual sort of uh, cases that, that that are out there in the market. So, for instance, the uh, order execution management, uh, the order and execution management systems. Uh, but also, for instance, I think which is really interesting is the uh, the concept of the so-called uh, pre-arranged trades. Um, uh, and what what we've seen in the market is that uh, a lot of the um, liquidity. Uh, that is out there is not really liquidity in the free market, but is uh, uh, often already pre-arranged uh, trades, which then are uh, uh, executed on the market. Um, uh, and there, um, as much of the opinion that uh, those pre-arranged sort of systems uh, already consider, uh, are considered to be multilateral. Uh, and therefore, um, uh, they look now at the uh, trading venues that 
facilitate that uh, uh, in order to uh, well put also some uh, requirements uh, on those well prearranged uh, uh, systems uh, that they uh, will uh, well be treated sort of like training venues. Um, we do know that there is uh, apparently some clarification being made in the uh, final document in relation to pre-arranged training, so it would be interesting to see that. Um, but they also do um, discuss in uh, the opinion uh, is in relation to the applicability of the rules to the technology providers, which is also uh, quite interesting because often um, arguments have been made that those are not being captured by the rules because they are only providing the software or the technology, uh, but ESMA has uh, well included them in certain instances as well. Um, so not new rules, uh, but I think it will have an impact on uh, on, on players in the market, uh, whereby we will see uh, some well I think more license applications um, or amendments to uh, to current systems. Uh, and like I said, it's expected that they will be published by the end of this month, beginning of next month. So we will address this um, uh, in our next session. Uh, with that, I will hand over to Hannah. Thanks, Butcher. Um, and uh, as we all know, that the FCA has also been seeking to provide some clarification um, in order to create a consistent understanding of the, the scope of trading venues um, that are actually within the, the regulatory regulatory perimeter um, in the UK. Um, so that you know the, the approach here has been similar to that in the EU in some respects, but there are some important differences. Um, and one of the interesting points, I think, on the UK side is that this new uh, guidance, when it's um, finalised, will disapply certain parts of the ESMA Q&As, which are otherwise still relevant, but certain parts that are inconsistent with the new guidance um, in the UK um, will be expressly disapplied. Um, I think that's one of the first times we've seen that happening um, in the UK. Um, so anyway, we, we are still waiting for that final version of the guidance, um, which we expect to see later in Q1, so probably after we see the final um, opinion from the EU. Um, but we'll, as Fletcher said, we're going to talk about that in a bit more detail next time. Um, on Just also on trading venues from a UK perspective, there are um, various other proposed improvements to the requirements that are applicable, um, mostly coming from the Wholesale Markets Review. Um, in particular, the removal of the restrictions on investment firms that operate trading venues from match principal trading and um, permitting OTF operators to execute transactions in equities when they're dealing in packages. Um, and these are being taken forward as part of the uh, Financial Services and Markets Bill. Um, and then also there's, there's continuing work on market outages um, involving industry as well as the regulators. Um, so we should probably move on to post-trade. Um, Jonathan and Flotcher, do you want to talk about that? Go on, Flotcher, you go first. So, no, so uh, Anna already um, uh, referred to it in her introduction, is that uh, in December 2022, the European Commission published a proposal to make well, to make the EU more attractive for clearing because of that, the, the reason for that is that a very large part of the clearing of derivatives currently still takes place in the UK, um, which is well, a bit of a uh, not a good side for, for the EU at least. Uh, so the Commission aims to improve the central clearing system in the, in the EU. So um, they are trying to 
well, amend certain rules in, uh, to make uh, EU CCPs more efficient and therefore also attractive. Uh, and therefore, it, it hopes to address the, the, well, the concerns of the vulnerability of the uh, EU financial markets because of the fact that we rely so heavily on the, um, the, the, the few CCPs based in the UK. So even though market participants have been invited to well reduce the, that that reliance to the uk uh, to um, ccps in the in the eu that hasn't happened voluntarily so therefore they are proposing to amend emir uh, to get that uh, to get that arranged so it is now being proposed that firms subject to the clearing obligation will be required to clear at least a portion of uh, certain systemic derivatives uh, through active accounts at the EU CCPs. Um, and ESMA has identified a couple of those derivatives uh, in, in the report um, as being, say, substantial systemic importance uh, in the EU or other uh, members to, or to one or uh, more member states. Um, so they have identified the uh, interest rate derivatives denominated in euro and uh, the Polish Schlotty uh, and the credit default swaps and short-term interest rate derivatives denominated in euro. So uh, the intention is that that will, um, well, well, be uh, obligatory to to clear in the EU by EU CCPs. Um, so that is that is that is a, a proposal. So I think we will see, uh, as Anna said, uh, in the next year how that will pan out. So we will keep an eye out on that. Uh, Jonathan, over to you. Yes, I mean I think when we do a separate post trade session, we can discuss the politics a bit more from the UK. But just for today's purposes, very briefly, much more technical. Um, I mean, post-trade transparency, which is really, I think, the, the key point here, is, um, is a couple of very technical changes they're proposing, getting rid of the size specific to the instrument, um, you know, specific uh, delay, and much more important theme we mentioned earlier, giving effectively FCA power to determine the post-trade timings and derogations. So part of that sort of general theme will come back to the sort of clearing politics uh, on another occasion. Over to you, Hannah, and Anna on data. So perhaps I will start with the um, with the EU um, development as, as data and that your data regulation has been front and center of this um, regulatory debate happening here um, over the last uh, months. Um, as I've mentioned earlier, it's been a central piece of the ongoing review review and surprisingly not, it's a highly debated issue. So the proposed changes concern not only the CTP regime um, that, um, that I had mentioned earlier, but also uh, changes to the way in which pre and post-trade um, data is made available to the public, so the so-called reasonable commercial basis. In terms of the CTP regime, which has been uh, clearly a top priority for the Commission, the co-legislators and the industry, the revised regime would be based on the mandatory contribution of market data to the select CTP. This mandatory contribution of market data is this to be counterbalanced by revenue distribution that a CTP operator would have to pay, um, put in place. And the regime would um, include setting up single CTPs per asset class, so bonds, shares, ETFs and derivatives, operators of which would be selected by ESMA in the result of public selection procedure. That said, nothing is agreed until everything is agreed. And since the review is still ongoing, the position of European Parliament is pending and the trilogue negotiations are ahead of us. Um, the issue of market data regulation is likely to be high on the Brussels agenda for the months to come. But data regulation is irrelevant for the financial sector. It's not only about market data in the context of MIFIR, but it's indeed, and there are several other initiatives which are worth mentioning that are either already underway or planned that address 
broader data issues of relevance to the sector. So one initiative worth mentioning in this context is the proposal for establishment of a European Single Access Point, or ESAP as it is known. The objective of this proposal is to introduce a single point of access to public financial and sustainability related information about EU companies and EU investment products. So this proposal is still undergoing legislative review with trilogue discussions expected to commence relatively soon and perhaps an adoption um, happening by mid this year. And finally, one other initiative, just very briefly to mention, is the upcoming European Commission's um, proposal on open finance, which will cover the active and reuse of customer data across a range of financial services. So the intention here is to allow data sharing and um, third-party access for a wide range of financial sectors and products. This is expected to be published by the Commission in the coming months, and legislative review will follow will certainly generate a lot of attention and interest from the industry. So with that, I'll hand over to Hannah for the UK development. Thanks, Anna. Um, I mean, so as we all know, the FCA has been considering the, both the supply and demand side considerations for market data in a number of areas for some time. Um, and that uh, took a kind of, had, it got even more momentum last year. So the trade data review is now well underway and we believe the FCA will be publishing its findings and next steps on that quite soon. Um, to that really leaves the, the, the wholesale data market study um, where the FCA has decided to combine its work on benchmarks and credit rating data and also in to include market data vendors and to use its competition powers to conduct that study, which we think is also going to be launched quite soon. Um, in terms of the uh, CTP, the Chancellor has at the end of last year confirmed that the UK is committed to having a regime for a consolidated tape in place by 2024. Um, the debate continues about how many uh, asset classes need to be covered or which asset classes um, and in which order of priority and whether a single CTP should be selected through a tender process or whether it should be a competitive market that's open to everyone who wants to provide a, a CTP. Um, so there's, there's lots of questions that still remain to be answered. Um, and given the amount of work that needs to be done, we can only assume that having a regime in place is not by the, by the beginning of next year is not quite the same as actually having a CTP up and running. But um, in any event, um, I think we can expect to hear a lot more about this during the course of 2023. And um, as in the EU, it's a very interesting discussion. So um, with that, perhaps we could move on to uh, the area of fintech. Um, and again, I think it probably makes sense to start on the EU side of this. Sure, will do. Thank you, Hannah. So again, another busy year in Europe in the area of crypto regulation as well. So with a market in crypto asset regulation, Mika, as I've mentioned um, at the beginning, uh, pending immediate final adoption and publication in the EU official journal, focus this year will switch towards development of technical secondary legislation that will set out a lot of crucial details for future compliance. So this work is already underway with the European supervisory authorities being asked to deliver their technical advice to the European Commission by the end of September this year. By way of a very brief background, MICA will be the first piece of European legislation introducing harmonized regulatory framework governing issuance of crypto assets, including standard crypto assets, as well as stable coins, provision of services in crypto assets, as well as rules governing market abuse in those markets. There is a lot to talk about it, but um, I'll hand over to Florcia now to discuss um, another piece of uh, European legislation that's the pilot regime. 
Thanks, Anna. Yeah, I just wanted to briefly touch upon the, um, uh, the EU's pilot regime for the market infrastructures. So that has been finalized last summer and um, the applications can uh, be submitted by uh, the end of March of this year. Um, the permissions will be granted for only a period of up to six years because that's sort of the proposed period that the pilot regime will uh, will be uh, will be alive. Um, just really quickly, what is the DLT pilot regime? It's a regime for trading venues and central security depositories. Uh, based on distributed ledger technology. So the regime well, is effectively now only a regulatory sandbox and it allows um, well, the eligible firms to apply to operate a DLT-based trading facility and or settlement systems for uh, financial instruments, whereby then certain requirements that apply to, say, the so-called normal trading venues and CSDs uh, may be disapplied. Uh, and they, the idea is then to facilitate the development of secondary market infrastructure for digital securities. Um, so there uh, would be interesting to see uh, whether or not uh, uh, it will fly because there is, of course, uncertainty also not only in relation to the period that it can be live uh, in relation to the six years program. Uh, and we will see, but uh, we can discuss later. And, and um, I think, Hannah, then maybe you can do the UK bit. Yeah, indeed. Um, so, I mean, in, in the UK, we don't have quite the equivalent of uh, Mika. Um, but we do have a, a growing, uh, I guess, kind of patchwork of regulatory measures that is designed to address specific risks associated with crypto assets. Um, and various new parts of that will come into effect during the course of 2023. Um, I think for present purposes on the market side, it's worth just flagging the FMI sandbox, which is due to be implemented in 2023, probably, I think, more likely the second half. Um, so this is... Um, I guess a similar kind of idea to the pilot regime that uh, you were just talking about Flotcher in the EU, um, but potentially a bit wider in scope because it is intended to facilitate participation by um, a wider range of uh, financial market infrastructures and those that support them. Um, it may accommodate technologies other than just distributed ledger technology, and it also refers to a wider range of legislation in terms of what you might be able to get some uh, flexibility in in terms of your compliance obligations with. Um, so we the detail of that is um, well the framework is is covered in the financial services and markets bill, but the the detail is yet to to come out. So we look forward to seeing that. Um, and there's also uh, a uh, you know another plan in process, which is that the government is working with. The regulators and market participants to trial a new class of wholesale market venue which would operate on an intermittent trading basis um, so this is another area where UK government really looking at uh, how we can use new technology to make the trading environment uh, work more effectively which I think is very exciting. Thanks Anna. I think that concludes this first episode of Split the Difference and my thanks to Anna Carrier from our Brussels office and Forge Nagelkirk from our Amsterdam office covering the EU position and also to Jonathan Herbst and Hannah Meakin covering the UK position. Uh, as you can see, there's an awful lot going on in 2023, so do join our future monthly webinars for help keeping up to date with the latest developments in each of these areas and some thoughts on what they mean in practice. Our February discussion will be a deep dive on the scope of trading venues and the potentially different approaches in the UK and EU. My thanks for listening today and do get in touch with any of the speakers if you'd like to discuss anything further.